Welcome to the Horizon Search Podcast. I'm your host, David Lovejoy, inviting you on a captivating exploration of the global business landscape. Join me as we discover insights from world-class professionals. Today's guest is Emma Richmond, chair of a Tech Canada CEO forum and executive coaching expert. She will talk about why you should consider joining a peer group to take your career to the next level. Over to you, Emma. Emma Richmond, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Well, thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Yeah. So as you said, my name is Emma Richmond. I have around 20 years experience in business. I started in my career out in London, UK, working in PR and marketing. When I moved back to Vancouver in 2004, I continued in PR and marketing, but then shortly after launched a market research business with a partner. That's really where I got a lot of my deeper business learning as the business grew very quickly and became very successful, thankfully. And so I really learned a lot through that experience, which has sort of then lent it to this, what I'm part of now, which is being a chair of a tech CEO forum. I joined tech back last year in around September, and I've been building my group. And it's been an incredible journey so far. What are some of the differences culturally in the business world that you see like working in London versus working in British Columbia? Yeah, it was quite a different experience. That's for sure. My parents are British. So I moved over there sort of naively thinking I would understand the culture and fit right in. But it's It was really quite different. I think there's an edginess to the culture there. And definitely it's not that people don't aren't work focused here, but it's it's very, especially London where I live. London was very, very work focused. The days were very intense. And living in London also, there's less of an outlet as you can have here with hiking and nature and exercise. So people really aren't oriented in the same way towards that. So it was a great experience in my 20s. And then towards the end of my 20s, I was excited to come back to a beautiful Vancouver. Nice. So Pivoting back to tech, the leadership group that you're a part of, that you're the chair of, what got you interested in that? Well, when I was running my company, which I was doing for about six years, my market research company called The Sound, I did that for about six years and it grew very quickly, as I mentioned. And I was very much doing the operational side and you know, hiring people, legal, financial, HR. It was a lot. And I found most of my time was spent problem solving. And in that, there was definitely that sense of lonely at the top. I really, really needed and wanted some people just to to turn to for support questions and have an impartial ear. And that was very, very hard to find. So when I left my business, I decided to pursue my master's degree in organizational psychology with the premise that I wanted to know how to help people better, really, because people are the essence of every business. So I wanted to know how to do that better. And then come out the other side and be a coach to help people like me feeling lonely at the top and sort of having an impartial ear to speak to coaching. And then tech approached me and it sort of felt like serendipity because that was, it was a group of CEOs that then I could work with regularly and build relationship over time. And honestly, it felt like one of those little moments in life where things just really come together. So I was very excited to join. And it's been incredible. The CEOs I have in my group already are exceptional people. And I, I feel honored to kind of have these monthly meetings with them and get to build a relationship with them. So it's been it's been incredible. Uh, I was curious, you also mentioned like using neuroscience and positive psychology in your coaching. How does that help us? 
for me, that comes down to neuroplasticity and just making important changes, moving away from the bad habits, moving towards the good ones. One of my favorite books actually is Atomic Habits with James Ah. Clear. And so, you know, making it easy and accessible to do the good stuff and trying to move away from the bad stuff and just making changes and then making it possible to follow the path of those changes that are beneficial to you. In terms of positive psychology, I would say, to me, it relates to the parable of the sun and the winds. You know, they both compete to try to take off the jacket of this this man who's more powerful. And the wind blows really, really hard, and the guy just pulls his jacket tighter. But the sun just shines down on the same guy, and eventually he just gets hot and takes it off. And I think positivity and is much more powerful, you know, working towards what's working and keeping an open mind and positive frame of mind, I think is, is far more impactful and beneficial to all of us. Thank you. Yeah, I love that parable. I forgot about it. So thank you for reminding me about <laughs> that. So I was curious, uh, in your impressive experience, is there an instance that stands out when you were able to help another CEO or another leader with uh, something that you learned? Well, my expertise now has really become more HR focused. And so I I definitely feel like my expertise lends towards that. But in my coaching relationships, I really try to to approach it with more, again, like a student kind of curiosity versus an expertise kind of positioning. I want to try to ask questions that will help people to come to their own conclusions. I definitely don't have all the answers and I'm not an expert. I guess I just try to help people to come to their own conclusions. And that's what I see as my job really in the coaching. Okay, great. And with leading business leaders from non-competing and diverse industries, what are some of the, the changes that you see? Like, what are some of the benefits that come from that? There's such a depth of knowledge available and learning available through tech. Their speakers are next level, the workshops, even the range of different topics that are available for members to experience. So there's a lot of learning that takes place in every meeting. And so I see people coming away with new ideas, new things to pursue. And it's hard to sort of just name one. I I think that with each different session, different things come out of that. And and I think, yeah, that only adds more value to their business. Okay, great. What made you choose tech as opposed to some of the other prestigious peer groups? Well, quite honestly, because they approached me. I hadn't actually thought about that as an avenue to pursue. I was doing my own coaching work at the time and using my assessment to do that. And I was really quite happy and engaged doing that. So that really hadn't entered my mind to become a chair until tech approached me and talked to me about it. And it was very appealing. And then when I did my research on other groups, I really felt like they were the best fit for me. And they really shared a lot of the same values. And I really like their business model. Well, I have my assumptions, but would you mind sharing what it was about you that made them approach you? Well, I think first and foremost, it was the fact that I had experience as a business leader myself. Having run my company, I certainly learned a lot of lessons every day and probably was able to admit that in the interviews that very much a learning process. I made a lot of mistakes, uh, learned from them and carried on. But also, I, I think I've got a bit of a compulsively helpful nature. And for me, it's very rewarding to help people. And this is very much what I wanted to do, having come out of my own experience as a, you know, running my own business, founding my own business is to apply some of the things I learned to help other people. Okay, thank you. 
So I, I guess a few years ago now, it hit me how important it is to have mentors, preferably more than one. In my experience, ideally in, in different industries as well, just to really get a good cross-section of perspective. And then here in the peer group, it's kind of like a, you know, a peer mentorship, if you will. I was wondering, do you have like formal mentors in addition to the peer group? Well, tech has provided me with a lot of resources. And I have two people I work with regularly. One is my advisor, my tech advisor, and I meet with her every couple of weeks. And the other is my own coach, my own personal coach, which I meet with every week. So they've been incredible in guiding me through this and providing me with suggestions, uh, advice, supports. So yeah, so they've been tremendous. Aside from that, I've never really had a mentor. I think that's also part of why this was appealing because I've certainly wanted one. I never really sought one out and I, and I probably could have benefited hugely from doing so. Okay. So with tech, you mentioned there's a, a global presence. Do you know roughly like how many countries tech is in or? It's very much international. I couldn't name the number of countries, but I think it's around 27,000 members worldwide. Wow. Yeah, okay. It's pretty extensive. And being a member, how much access do you have to that global network? Like, are you able to visit or hop on calls or something like that with some of those 27,000 members? I think it comes more down to tapping into their resources and okay. being able to connect with them. And, and like, let's say you were doing a project in another country and wanted a lawyer or, you know, some other type of professional service. Wow. It's sort of being able to ask for these suggestions, recommendations, or even advice, let's say, for how to go about doing business in another country. Nice. So it's kind of like a rotary club in a way, like you just yeah. you have a family wherever you go. Exactly. Yeah. And you can also post questions to the intranet and put, just put it out there and people like it's sort of open, can be open to people answering. Sure. One of my mentors is the chair of Tiger 21 and oh. uh, it's an ultra high net worth peer group. And he was uh, recommending that I look at Vistage to join. So I was interested in YPO and EO. Yeah. And then yeah. I started looking at Vistage and you told me tech is Vistage. And I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. So it, it's it definitely got my attention. And that's uh, one of the reasons I, I wanted to reach out and speak with you today. But I was curious for someone like me that's looking at these peer groups, what would you say, like you mentioned the global presence, and I think a lot of them have some elements of global presence, but what's something that makes tech special for you or that you would say definitely give tech some good consideration? Well, tech is really oriented towards personal, professional business growth. People say it's the equivalent of doing MBA. And most members join and the average length of stay is seven years. So there's a lot of benefit, personal and professional, that people experience through tech. I haven't participated in the other groups and, and I've spoken to other people who are part of it. I know that many of them get benefit from that too. I think there's a lot of personal choices involved about, you know, what are you looking for? You know, what are you looking for in the forum experience? And some people are looking for different things. So for business oriented, you know, business growth oriented people, I think tech is a really good choice. So I had another question, a comment you made earlier about being lonely at the top. As a leader, it seems you often have to be a symbol. I was curious, does that loneliness stem more from just the need to compartmentalize? Like, I need you to do this. So I, I want to have this stoic facade when inside I'm like reeling with all this chaos. Or is it that they just wouldn't understand? Like if, if you were to say, 
this is what it feels like. Like until they're there, they they wouldn't understand. And that's why you need the peer group. I'm just curious, like what contributes to that loneliness at the top? I think a certain amount of vulnerability as a leader is very powerful. Sharing some of the issues and struggles and some degree of transparency can be incredibly beneficial to building a culture, you know, of honesty, inclusion, collaboration, and trust. I mean, what builds more trust than having some openness and vulnerability? However, I think that has to have a certain stopping point. There's issues that a leader has to deal with that they just need to deal with without necessarily sharing it with their colleagues or subordinates as they need to maintain the sort of leadership profile. And some of it's actually just highly confidential in terms of the running of a business. Mm. Well, Emma, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you in the past, but also now. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to, to share? You asked me before about some of the innovative strategies you know, to introduce to the to a peer group. And even I would say you, you asked around sort of how to strengthen leadership skills. And one thing I did want to touch on was the concept of psychological safety being so important, okay. not only in the group itself, but in as a business leader, which can absolutely encourage in innovation. So, you know, to your question, how do you strengthen innovation? I think creating an atmosphere where people are able to share information, feedback, ideas, is essential. It's really the first step in creating a really innovative culture, but also yeah. culture sharing. You know, for our peer groups, sharing is essential. People sharing with each other, sharing their struggles and issues, but also sharing with each other some ideas and solutions. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's a uh, very good advice. It reminds me a little bit of that parable you mentioned about the warm sun, having the person take their jacket off. It's kind of like your self-criticism is released and you can be creative and participate in the whole. One challenge I've found is that you can lean too far into being a friend or being too. And so you really need to have or instill good character in your team so that they know they still have to show up on time and they still have to like put the team first, but that they won't be judged for their mistakes and stuff like that. So there's like a fine balance, it seems. Have you, have you seen that? Oh, absolutely. I think the feedback component needs to be within a structure of respect and awareness of appropriateness. But I think on the other side of that, I actually was reading this interesting book by Kim Scott called uh, Radical Candor. And she says she knows she's getting too comfortable if she's not got enough psychological safety. Okay. When I feel totally comfortable as a leader, I know I've not created enough psychological safety to solicit feedback. Huh. That's really interesting. I thought that was a really good point because I think feedback is a really essential component of growth and development and change. And I think for businesses and for people, that's essential. But there's a very important premise to feedback, you know, which is, first of all, as a leader, creating the environment in which that's available to for people to give it. Also, the component of being able to give it in a way people can hear it. Right. It has to be about the thing, not about the person to make it depersonalize it right. and make it really constructive. It also helps to frame it positively. And then as the receiver, it's important to kind of be curious and not be defensive. Yeah, thank you. It sounds like teams need coaching on, on that and kind of maybe like monthly workshops to practice because the world makes sense to each of us uh, as we see it because we're filtering out 99% of the information. And we don't know it. And so you, you kind of have to have that. Did you think of this? I forgot if I shared with you, but I had a similar experience as a tour leader in Japan. I had two-week tours. I, I take people all over the country, groups of about similar to tech, about 14 people. 
And I prepared diligently for uh, days before each tour. And every train route, any, anywhere I could differentiate the, like, like add some extra value here or there. If anyone had surgeries or things I needed to be aware of, like knee replacements and stuff like that. And so maybe, you know, we don't do those steps this way, or maybe I give them an alternate route, all this stuff you have to think of for two weeks of seamless joy, basically uh, the odd typhoon here, earthquake there, et cetera. You know, I really tried and I, I thought, oh, I'm going to impress them. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to know everything. And I didn't know anything. Like every single question I got, was a question I had not prepared for. And I was like stammering, like, why aren't you? I mean, I didn't say this out loud, but it was like, why aren't you asking me like the 50 pages of questions that I prepared for? I, I look like I don't know anything. And then I kind of flipped that out of necessity and I just started taking in their questions and it broadened my perspective significantly, which I never would have got if I just thought about it, quote unquote, my way. And that just was really a light bulb moment for me. So it sounds like there's something yeah. similar in what you said. Well, I think we're all guilty of cognitive bias. You know, what we see is what we see and we believe what we see and we believe is the truth. But the reality is that that's, we can't see all the perspectives and all the side of things. And we're all afraid, as you said, of us being asked questions that will make us seem uninformed or weak or not knowledgeable. But instead, we know when you, you can ask questions to facilitate learning about, about a situation, about an issue, a, pers a person. So when you don't know and you can ask questions, you can really provoke, inspire, create conversation and really develop your own learning about uh, something. And it can also provide an invitation, you know, to explore something deeper. Adam Grant actually has a really interesting model for conflict and discussion. And, and he's got four, he calls it four approaches. You've got the preacher who's always convinced they're right. Yeah. Prosecutor who's always trying to prove someone else wrong. And the politician is always trying to win the approval of the audience. And then the scientists who you want to be, you want to be the scientist and figure okay. curiosity over conviction, you know, be curious. And the real goal to be to find out what is true and even to learn something, to expand your knowledge and have an exchange of points of view and ideas. It's not a competition, it's not a contest, and it's not necessarily a criticism of us or shouldn't be necessarily be a threat that we find out something we don't know or we're wrong about. It should right. be an opportunity. Yeah. Wise words and a great place to end. Where would you like to direct people? Where should they check you out? I'm on LinkedIn, Emma Richmond. You can also look at the Tech Canada website, tech-canada.com. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much for today. This has been great. It's been really wonderful talking to you. My pleasure, Emma. Talk to you again soon. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Rise and Search podcast. Our next guest is Joe Olson, M&A consultant and Tiger 21 chair in San Francisco. Joe will talk about the next level of peer groups for ultra high net worth individuals, giving you something to strive for and learn from today. Until then, eyes on the horizon.